Hey everybody, uh, welcome to episode 7 of Tara and Andrew vs. the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Andrew. I'm Tara. This is part 7 of our 3,726 part series uh, where we review a movie totally at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, give our relatively well-informed, somewhat educated thoughts, would you say? Somewhat. On the movie. And then uh, do a little bit of research and talk about what we learned as well. So we have a couple of rules for this podcast. First off, any movie we pick has to be a movie that neither of us has seen before. The second rule is that the movie we select has to be no more than four hours in length. This podcast is in no way sanctioned by Scarecrow Video. Uh, We're not affiliated with them in any way, but we would highly encourage you to go spend your money at Scarecrow Video. It's an awesome store. And I would highly encourage Scarecrow Video to uh, affiliate themselves with us because our star is on the rise. We're, we're going up, 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 up. So, Sky's the limit, except yeah. it's not with us. Uh, yeah. Sky's the limit if you don't hit your star to us, Scarecrow. Yeah, it, you know, get in while the getting's good. That's what we're saying. Yeah, so, yeah the window of opportunity is quickly closing. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> clock's, the clock's a ticking, so... <laughs> So last time we watched Beyond the Mat, the wrestling documentary that took a look at some of the goings on behind the scenes over at the WWE, well, then it was WWF, now it's WWE, I guess, and um, other wrestling circuits. We both thought it was pretty enjoyable, despite having some initial reservations, yeah. right? Yeah, we definitely, uh, going into it, were not as excited about it being a sports documentary, but uh, we were both very pleasantly surprised and overall enjoyed it, minus a couple of irritations, minor, minor irritations with the filmmaker. Yeah, but, film- um, filmmaker, narrator, who wanted to keep inserting himself into the movie, despite there not being really any reason for us to care. Instead, he just kept being like, and then this is what happened to me when I was going to meet Mick Foley, and we're like, dude, nobody... Nobody really cares about you. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we're watching a documentary about you, it'd be a little bit more appropriate. God, I hope we A do documentary not. about the making of Beyond the <laughs> I hope we do not get that movie <laughs> we pick it. So I guess that's uh, as good a point as any for us to move into selecting the movie. I was the one who picked the movie last time, so now it is Tara's turn to pick. Yes! So, um, Come on, fingers. Yeah, no no whammies. Come on. All right, so I'm going to start flipping through the book. Tara's eyes are closed, so she does not know what point I'm at in the book. I'm just flipping. Stop. Okay. Now my finger is outstretched, blindly kind of moving towards Andrew's direction. Okay, you got one. Got one. Oh, cool. Okay, so... Really cool? Yes. Uh, so, Kronos. Um, oh! Wait, this is not the one that I was... It's still... It'll be fine. Not the Cronenberg? Uh, no, I was thinking that it was going to be the uh, Guillermo del Toro movie, but it's oh. not either of those. Uh, maybe I'm just... Maybe there is no Cronenberg Kronos. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it starts Ciaro or Caro. Yeah. So, okay. So, Kronos, uh, 1957, directed by Kurt Newman. The Starcrow Video Movie Guide says that a giant robot lands in the Gulf of Mexico and goes on a rampage through the Southwest, guided by an alien intelligence that has infiltrated a top-secret laboratory. This simplistic but fun B-movie slice of 1950s science fiction makes an impression in black-and-white widescreen with its striking designs, great use of Southwestern desertscapes, 
in its austere robot monster, a skyscraper-scaled battery propelled by paddle driver feet. Lunky leading man. Lunky. That's uh, <laughs> Lunky. Lunkhead. I sure hope he's, well, I don't hope he's dead so that he doesn't have to read this, read himself being described as Lunky, but uh, I don't know. Not a flattering. Not especially flattering. Adjective to use. Anyway, Lunky leading man, Jeff Morrow, looks like a Cro-Magnon in a lab coat, but barks with the authority of a hunky hero, while the balance of the performances are either flat or florid, but it's lively and imaginatively put together by Newman, who shot the cult classic The Fly a year later. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, sounds pretty interesting. Sounds like we're going to get to watch some Lunkhead lunking around. Uh, neither one of us have seen that, so I guess we will be back shortly after... Right after this lovely musical interlude. We are back. So, Kronos, we should do our pre-spoiler rating. Five-point scale, as always. Uh, don't watch. Maybe don't watch. Eh. Uh, maybe watch. And then don't not watch the, the pinnacle of movie ratings. On the count of three. One. Two. Three. Eh. I thought it was fine. You know, I, I liked aspects of it. Yeah. We should also say that we were trying to do extraneous research on the movie, and there's, like, nothing to be found, there's pretty much. There's very so little information out there. This episode is going to be very dependent on our own thoughts and feelings about the movie. God help us all. I will say I found a website that tried to do an in-depth review of the movie, and it was just a pile of garbage. They were like, a pickup artist had written it or something. Yeah, it was pretty gross. For example, there's essentially one woman character in the entire movie, and this reviewer giving his summation of the character just said, like, oh, she's pretty, and because she didn't get on my nerves, and she helps other people, like, she's smart, <laughs> and that was basically how he described her. Yeah. So, so know, ladies, pretty cool. You just have to uh, be pretty and help people, and that uh, equates and, to intelligence. Apparently. And also not annoy this guy. Yeah, don't annoy that guy, yeah. whoever that was. That's whoever the that guy key is. thing. That's uh, pretty much the extent of interesting information we found on the movie. So, Well, except for one of the dudes in the movie. Wait, wait, let's save it. Save it for later. It's a dude. It's a dude. He's a dude. He just, he's some dude. He's just some dude. So the movie starts off with some pretty terrible special effects, like a flying saucer that looks like uh, like sub-Ed Wood level special effects, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. And the, this uh, flying saucer is like flying around in space, and then a beam of light shoots out of it, and it lands on Earth, and, and it like attacks this dude. Basically possesses them. Yeah, and the guy goes to... Lab Central. Which is like the most generic name for a research facility that they possibly could have come up with. Uh, yeah, except for maybe just Lab. <laughs> That's okay, okay, partial credit. They didn't go with partial this Partial credit. So the, uh, the guy that gets possessed goes to Lab Central and he conks a guard on the head and then uh, rushes into the office of Dr. Elliot and the, the alien intelligence takes over Dr. Elliot's body instead. Whatever happened to that man? 
he uh, he just dies, yeah. and then the guards are sort of like, well, I don't know, I guess we'll just get rid of this corpse, I guess. Yeah, and they just haul right. him off, and like, does this happen a lot at Loud Central? Just or? totally unceremoniously, like, oh, oh just got a go, corpse. We'll just throw this corpse away. Uh, yeah, nobody cares. Put it on the corpse pile. And so Lab Central, they're they're tracking this uh, planetoid or something like that. Is that asteroid? Asteroid. Okay. And they notice that it is moving in a trajectory of that wall that cause it to collide with Earth. These scientists suggest we shoot missiles at it to prevent it from colliding with the Earth. So nuclear missiles, right? I think it, they were nuclear missiles. This was like made back in the late fifties, back when just nuclear missiles were the solution to everything. I think pretty much. So they shoot three missiles at this uh, supposed asteroid, and the scientists from Lab Central are just kind of watching, counting down, and then all of a sudden, the dust settles, and lo and behold, nothing happened. Nothing the, saucer, happened. the saucer is still nothing there, happened. not not really affected. Yeah, saucer's fine. But at the same time as this is all going down, Doctor Elliot, who was kind of standing just outside of the room where they were monitoring. The situation he just like collapses and uh so they, they take him into uh, i guess the medical facility there and he's just non-responsive so their plan of action their their medical treatment for this is for them to administer electroshock therapy no half measures with these people it's like shoot right. nuclear missiles at an asteroid uh this dude's not responsive so let's uh put him through a couple of runs of ect can't figure it Science. out electricity will yeah so Dr. Elliot's basically out of commission at this point for all intents and purposes. So the rest of the team decide they need to do something. So the saucer manages to land in the ocean, probably in the Pacific. I think it was like kind of off of Baja, California. So the rest of the lab central team decide, oh, you know what? Let's just go head down to Mexico. I was saying before that it seemed pretty harsh that the Scarecrow video guide uh, criticized the main scientist character as being like, what do they say, a lunkhead? Monkey. Monkey. Yeah, no, they, they were dead on. Like, every yeah. time this guy opens his mouth, you just expect him to be like, duh. And he's like soliloquizing almost about how he feels like something is going to happen and they keep cutting back and forth between Mexico and, and Dr. Elliot in the hospital. And that, I felt, was really poor editing. Yeah, that was... <laughs> It just, was really irritating. Right. And nothing was really happening, was happening. in it, either place. Right. At some point, uh, Leslie talks about talking to Vera, his... I guess she was like a photographer? She was a photographer and his girlfriend. Yeah, who worked in, at Lab Central with them. So they're partially there for work, then also partially there to have fun on the beach in Mexico, I guess. Yeah. Like, And Leslie is talking to Vera, and he's like, oh, I just I don't know if you want to be with, with me. You know, I, I pulled the scientific boner of all time we're like whoa that's uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah and meanwhile they're both like in their bathing suits on this beach and they i think just been making out yeah and he's like yeah i i just pulled the scientific boner of all time so yeah eventually they like they're dejected because nothing's happening as they're getting ready to leave i guess they see lights flashing in the ocean from where this uh saucer or they think asteroid landed they just cut to the next day i guess yeah and Something happened. Well, goodbye. Let's go to sleep. And uh, so they, they get to the next day, and then there's just like this massive alien structure that just appeared out of nowhere. Which, by the way, is basically just a metal cylinder with two metal cubes on it, and like some antenna with glass cubes. It was different. So it was I think very it, like, different. I appreciated that. Like it wasn't yes. just some dumb monster. 
I'm with you. You definitely have to give credit to the filmmakers for not making this thing look like any other goofy goofy monster. Right. It's its own goofy monster. I think the fact that you can't really attribute any emotions to it or anything, it makes it more menacing. menacing. Yeah. Yeah. So it shows up, and then, but first of all, well, not first of all, because we're like 15 minutes into the 70th of all. 70th of all. One thing that the movie makes a lot of use of is uh, the newspaper headlines as a plot device. Yeah. So like, what? I just wondered, what happened to that? Why don't we see that anymore? But Because nobody reads newspapers. That's true. Just like showing a picture of somebody's <laughs> Facebook feed. But yeah, there's like at least 15 different headlines of newspapers that they show throughout the course of the movie. And so right after the the structure appears, they show a headline of a newspaper that's like, sea creature appears mysteriously. And it's like, sea, sea creature. creature. That's kind of a stretch. Like it's, That's a huge stretch. Like, hmm, some big, obviously angular not, metal. Yeah, not organic looking at all. Completely inorganic thing. Yeah, it emerged from the sea. Yeah. That does not mean it's a sea creature. Good enough. Print it. Gotta sell some papers here, I guess. Yeah. So, sea creature, that's, that's how we'll sell it. So, um, they dub this structure Kronos after, like, a Greek mythology? Yeah, after Greek mythology. It's funny, they're like, it's Kronos, it's from Greek mythology, and then they don't explain it in the movie. Well, they don't explain, like, no, that was, like, a newscast that they showed, yeah. and the, the, the other thing about, like, newspapers and newscasts that they depict in the movie is that they really aren't too worried about the details. They show headlines, and it's just, like, failure and then you don't see that there's any like accompanying story so like if somebody just reads the newspaper and they see failure and well they might just think it's a trump tweet yeah yeah sad <laughs> sad uh like 200 point font just failure and like that's uh helpful and i'm sure people are gonna really get a lot out of out of that good good job newspaper <laughs> from the 50s i'm just like i'm just lashing out now at the, <laughs> anyway Kronos starts uh, going around throughout Mexico. It's uh, just tearing shit up, cutting huge swaths of destruction. And um, they cut back to Dr. Elliot in the hospital. And he's kind of partially being possessed still by the the alien intelligence. I think it's going in and out. Probably the ECT had a big impact on it. Right. So he's getting daily electroshock therapy treatments. And apparently when he has these treatments, it somehow kind of allows him to regain his consciousness and fight off the, the alien intelligence for a brief period of time. So he's talking to the doctors there, and he's like, listen, the, this thing, Kronos, like it's coming from an alien civilization that used up all their energy, and now they're, they're just trying to harvest our energy for their own uses. So Dr. Elliot is trying to explain this, and he's like, oh, it sounds crazy. He walks in on his doctor, listening to a recording that he took of their conversation, where... Dr. Elliot's explaining, like, what's going on and his connection to Kronos and basically what, what Kronos is trying to do. The, the exposition play that he'd recorded to help yeah. the viewers. Yeah. So Dr. Elliot walks in and like, this is a secret you can't, this is not for anybody else to know because he's back to being possessed. So in order to snuff out the secret, he takes the doctor and shoves him into a fence that apparently barely contains, I don't know, whatever they were using for ECT therapy. Like it, It's not far off from a chain link fence. Yeah, it's just like the most ridiculously unsafe thing that you would ever imagine having just like hanging out in a doctor's office. Right. Oh, yeah, we just flipped this switch. Now you're dead. Dr. Elliot escapes and he goes back to Lab Central, kind of rubbing his paws together. <laughs> his paws. Because now he's a... Because doing... now he's also a cat. ECT helped him uh, gain his consciousness back, and it also turned him into a cat. That's yeah, he got hit with the sea lion side. Yeah. 
Oh my god. God help us. Yeah. God help us. So yeah, Dr. Elliot goes back to Lab Central. And at this point, everybody is back there and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with Kronos being an unstoppable force going throughout Mexico and, and into America eventually. They're just like kind of all whatever dithering around it at Lab Central. And then Vera gets that phone call from the hospital or whatever. Kind of fills her in on what's going on. Yeah, with Dr. like Elliot. basically. Just like Dr. Elliot is not well. There's he's not right in the head, things are going on. So she tries to find Leslie. She walks into a room and sees the back of a man and just does to start blabbing and dun 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 it's Dr. Elliot. So he's like, Oh no, you don't and attempts to kill her like the same way. Basically, there's this wall that just says high voltage all yeah, over just it. A lot of like <laughs> just uh... like this wall in his office. So he's trying to throw Vera against this wall. Leslie hears Vera's shrieking, rushes in, saves her. I don't know if he rushes in. He's well, kind of like looking around he like, kind of, what's, Yeah, what's he was that? on the phone and he was kind of like wandering around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He pulls Vera away and pushes Dr. Elliot against the wall and electrocutes him, which allows him to gain some control over his body again. And he starts explaining that Kronos comes from a planet where they convert energy into matter. Basically, they used up all their energy, and now they're trying to suck energy from other planets. And if they figure out how to do it here, that more machines or beings like Kronos are going to show up and just, like, plunder the Earth's energy. Yeah, and, um, and he, like, when he was talking about this, I'm like, oh, that sounds like something we would do as Earth if yeah. uh, we would win, win, not if, when yeah. we run out of the energy. Well, and, and Dr. Elliot actually does make that point, like, you know, it's the same sort of thing that'll happen here yeah. if we continue on this trajectory. Yes. And, <laughs> and looking at what's going on now with climate change, whatever you want to call it, Boy, it sure makes you frustrated that we didn't start doing stuff a long time ago. (laughs) Like, you know, 1957. Yeah, it's pretty... For 1957, it's, like, really prescient for its stances on energy consumption. Right, resource consumption. Right. When they realize that Kronos is essentially trying to suck up energy, convert it to matter, they think, maybe we can do the opposite and force it to kill itself, essentially, by sort of reversing that flow. They do it, and uh, they, they kill Kronos, and then the end. Yeah, basically the end. Yeah. Kronos ate himself. And we'll be prepared if any more of those dangled Kronoses come to try to get us. Literally, like, they, they kill Kronos, and then 20 seconds later, it's like the end. I think it's yeah. kind of par for the course for like yeah. science fiction movies from that era, though. It's just like, all right, uh... Problem solved, and goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just kind of, like, another issue I had with the movie was the pacing in general. Yeah. <laughs> it was just kind of indicative of that, like, let's have these really long, slow parts yeah. where nothing's going on, and then, right. boom, and here's, like, stuff happening, and nope, nothing's happening again. Yeah, it, the, the movie is, like, 78 minutes long, but it feels a lot longer. It feels way longer than that. I, I struggled to keep my attention several times. Yeah, and you're, you're totally right about there being, like, a lot of kind of just meandering pointless shots. Like, when they're in the helicopter, like, flying around, trying to get a good look at Kronos and whatever, yeah. it's just, like, this is three or four minutes that you could have easily cut. Like, it's 78 minutes long, but it could have been probably 70 minutes and been fine. Agreed. Um, I think that pretty much sums up our general feelings on Kronos. I mean, I kind of feel like something like that would have been almost better suited to an episode of Outer Limits or Twilight Zone. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some 
compelling things to the plot. Yeah. I think the, the whole thing with Dr. Elliot being possessed, I think that's handled pretty well. Yeah, for sure. And just the, the idea of it not being just a monster set on mindless destruction, but with, like, actual purpose. Yeah, not like, I'm gonna just show up at this place and just fuck shit up. Right. You have a, a distinct goal in mind. Yeah, good for you. So, what would we do if we were in the reverse situation? We probably, we are running out of resources here. You oh, know? yeah. Like, you, people are already talking about how to... Get out of here. Get out of here. Right. You know? Not that it's super likely, but... I think a lot of people are much more on board with that idea now that uh, we've got Trump in the whole office. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, like we were saying earlier, there really isn't any helpful extraneous information that can shed any insight or any interesting facts we could find about the movie aside well okay let's go back to that uh that thing that we teased that earlier tantalizing yeah hook. get ready guys this is it's gonna be worth it oh it's a big one yeah so there was a character in the film called dr arnold culver and he throughout the movie is just obsessed with this machine called Susie, which we didn't really talk about yeah because again it's not critical to the plot they make a big deal out of they make a huge her. deal out of her I mean, I guess just the machine itself is the one that detected the saucer in the first place. But besides that, like, this doctor and his relationship with this machine yeah, kind of... We should talk about what Susie is oh, short stands for. for. Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. You, yeah, I wrote it down here. It's so ridiculous. It's, it's super ridiculous. Synchro-unifying, cinematic integrating equitinizer. You just obviously wanted to call this machine Susie and have it be like a cute thing. Just name her Susie if that's what you want to do. So anyway, Dr. Arnold Culver was played by George O'Hanlon, who is the guy who voiced George Jetson on the classic cartoon, The Jetsons. And that's it. That's my big, that's my big fact that yeah. I could find. <laughs> I guess the only other couple points I, I would say, like, yeah, it's kind of a hooky movie in mm -hmm. ways. Like, there are some issues we have with it, obviously. But it was independently made, so it wasn't produced by one of the big studios. And then the other thing I saw was it was filmed in just over two weeks, which right, yeah. seems like a crazy short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, given those bits of information, you had to kind of cut it a little bit of slack, I think. It's... Obviously, they, they probably spent quite a lot of time on the special effects and at the time. Um, oh, yeah, Variety, like, back when it was released, they were pretty hot on the special effects, which, you know, obviously look ridiculous to us now. But, yeah, they thought that they were pretty impressive back in the day. Also, the, the sound effect that uh, Kronos yeah. makes when it's moving. Um, I'm going to insert a clip of the sound that it makes when it's moving right here so you can uh, hear it. And just how terrifying and menacing it's, it would be yeah, if you heard that sound approaching. It's, it's adorable. Like, uh, let, <laughs> let him take this over, honestly. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so now that we have kind of wrapped up with everything we have to say about Kronos, let's do a seamless into uh, talking about Tony Monero, which is a movie that we watched of our own volition. So it's a Chilean movie that was made like in the late 2000s, but it's set in the late 70s, I think. Right around the time when, surprisingly enough, when Saturday Night Fever came out, considering Tony Monero is the lead character in that film. So yeah, it's set in Chile in the late 70s, and the main character is this guy who is like totally obsessed with John Travolta's character in Saturday Night Fever, and just like dresses like him. He's part of a dance troupe that are trying to put on a show in this tiny little venue, like emulating the, the dance scenes from the movie. And he's like 50-something, so... I mean, it's just so ridiculous and, and comical, right. the whole it, idea of this guy. Exactly. I was reading the back of the box, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty funny, and then they, they talk about it taking a dark turn, and it takes a dark turn, like, immediately. immediately. <laughs> like, within 10 minutes of the movie starting, he's, like, murdering an old lady with his bare hands. 
So that kind of sets the tone for what you should expect. It's it's a pretty dark movie. Very dark. But There's it, a decent amount of nudity. As yes. Well. I'm going to put that out there a lot right of, now. A lot of nudity. It's something that we both thought was pretty engaging. And so, yeah, you should check that out. We'll not yeah, as long as you more. can stomach violence and, and nudity and, you know. It's definitely a unique movie. It, yeah, it definitely is. So, yeah, uh, Tony Monero, check it out. Check it out. Now we're going to have absolutely Sue Check it out. As always, you can send any comments uh, about the, the podcast or about the movies that we've been watching. You can send us an email at terraandandrewverses at gmail.com. And you can also go to our website, terraandandrewverses, all spelled out in both cases. Uh, TerranAndrewVersus.com. We've also set up a Facebook page, so if you want to follow us there, feel free to do that. We always link to the new episodes every week, which we're releasing every Tuesday. And we're on iTunes properly now. It's only been like two months that we've been working on this. We're finally getting our iTunes shit straightened out, so we did it. So as always, I'd like to say thank you to Boat for allowing us to use their excellent song lately and their album Setting the Paces. Thank you, Boats. Thank you, Boat. And uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Catch you later, Potato Hags. Yeah, catch you later, Potato Hags. <laughs>